Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Invisible Man from 1933. The studio, Universal Pictures, the release date was October 31st, 1933, right on Halloween. Very timely. The running time, 71 minutes. Of course, it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it three and a half out of four stars. He writes, H.E. Wells' fantasy brilliantly materializes on screen in the tale of a mad scientist who makes himself invisible, wreaking havoc on a British country village. Claude Rains' starring debut is dated but still enjoyable. Look fast for John Carradine phoning in a sighting, and that's Walter Brennan, whose bicycle is stolen. Now, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw the original Invisible Man. I know it was on video, and it was after Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And it was likely before The Mummy, but in any case, it was a film I I never forgot how comically entertaining it was. Especially considering that Abner Costello meet Frankenstein was my first monster movie experience. So The Invisible Man had a lot of those elements, while still being dark. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So, in 1933, another film, heavy on special effects, was released. And that was the groundbreaking and hugely successful King Kong. Audiences, in addition to becoming more acclimated with talking pictures, were also seeing huge leaps in special effects technology on screen. The Invisible Man was the perfect story to be adapted onto the big screen. The film, of course, is an adaptation from the classic novel from 1897 written by H.G. Wells. Wells is considered one of the pioneers in science fiction writing, with novels like The Time Machine, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and The War of the Worlds. While Wells believed motion pictures were wonderful and revolutionized the entertainment industry with regards to storytelling, he wasn't sure The Invisible Man was the right story to adapt to screen. Now, the reason was partly due to Wells not liking the film adaptation of his book, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which was called The Island of Lost Souls on film. Wells's critique was that the film studio turned his story into a horror film, which wasn't the tone of his novel. He wanted to make sure The Invisible Man was treated more faithfully to his original work. One of the keys of success to bringing The Invisible Man to life on screen was having director James Whale on board. Whale was responsible for the success of the original Frankenstein film with Boris Karloff in 1931, and he would also go on to direct arguably the best Frankenstein film two years later, the sequel, Bride of Frankenstein. Initially, Universal wanted Whale to direct a sequel to Frankenstein immediately because of its enormous popularity, but Whale didn't want to do a Frankenstein sequel, nor any sort of sequel, which is why he was drawn to the Invisible Man project. Whale obviously changed his tune about a Frankenstein sequel a few years later. However, besides The Bride of Frankenstein, he never directed another sequel again for the rest of his career. Once Universal acquired the rights to the story, which they only wanted for name recognition of the title and the author name, it then took a while to get the script that was faithfully original to the novel, which is what Whale wanted. Universal, well, they didn't care as much because, as I mentioned, the title was enough for them to sell the film to audiences. Whale was friends with screenwriter R.C. Sheriff, and Sheriff was one of the few writers who took a stab at writing an adaptation to faithfully use the foundation of what H.G. Wells wrote in his novel, which made it easy for Whale to pick Sheriff as his collaborator. 
There was also a novel called The Murder Invisible, written by Philip Wiley, which was also acquired by Universal and had the elements of the story which would make it into the strip written by Sheriff. But frankly, there's more of a connection to the Frankenstein story than anything because of the mad scientist angle, along with the love interest side of the story. Claude Rains would go on to be one of the most respected actors in the 1930s and 40s, but he was making his American film debut with The Invisible Man, and he's also making his debut completely covered in bandages. But this is why Reigns was ultimately picked for the role, because he had a terrific speaking voice. And for the character of the Invisible Man, the voice would be vital for this film to succeed. However, Reigns was not the first choice for the role. Boris Karloff was the first choice, which made sense considering his success in Frankenstein and working with Whale. But Karloff had a disagreement with the studio regarding his contract, and so he didn't take the role. Colin Clive, also from Frankenstein, was asked by Whale, but he wanted to go back home to England for a rest and, and a break and turn down the role. In the film version, the character Reigns plays is much more sinister and bordering on insanity as a mad scientist compared to a more subdued version where he was making more of a social statement of class hierarchy, which was originally the angle in H.G. Wells's book. However, the mad scientist vibe made the performance by Reigns much better to watch on screen. Another difference between the film and the novel was the addition of a love interest and the fiancé for The Invisible Man, which was played by Gloria Stewart. She had appeared the year prior in another James Whale film called The Old Dark House. Now, modern audiences would come to know Stewart when she was 87 years old, as she portrayed the elderly version of Rose in the film Titanic from 1997. The challenge of the special effects crew led by John Fulton was to film the invisible scenes when the Claude Rains character was partially clothed because you had to somehow display the hollowed out pieces. And this was done by placing black velvet on the determined disappearing portions and then filmed against a black velvet backdrop to show the illusion of invisibility. If you think about it, it's quite remarkable to watch these scenes since it was filmed in the early 1930s. Some of the great scenes, like when Reigns removes all of his bandages while looking at the mirror, that required four different shots to be spliced together to achieve the effect needed. Because of this attention to detail and really groundbreaking special effects, audiences were going to the theater in droves to see this amazing new film, and The Invisible Man became one of the most popular films in 1933. Also, if you haven't seen it already, check out the movie Gods and Monsters from 1998. This is about the life of James Whale, which is portrayed by Ian McKellen. Okay, let's get into the film. So again, it's an interesting role for Claude Rains, as it's mostly a vocal performance the entire film. You never actually see his face, since it's bandaged the entire film. In any case, the film opens in a tiny English village on a snowy night, where a strange man, wrapped in bandages, stops at an inn to stay for the evening. And that man is Dr. Jack Griffin, that's Claude Rains, and many of the locals are playing darts and drinking. about Mrs. Mason's little Willie, sent him to school and found him buried ten foot deep in a snowdrift. How did they get him out? Brought the fire engine round, put the hose pipe in, pumped it backwards and sucked him out. <laughs> oh,
I want a room and a fire. Jenny! Hello? There's a gent here who wants a room and a fire. What, a room? I said a room. We ain't got none ready, not at this time of year. We don't usually have folks stopping, except in the summer. You can get one ready. Said he, said, Millie? Yes? I want a private sitting room, too. Said he, said. Will you come through, sir? This way, sir. winter we've had down here for years. They've got all the sheep and the cows in for a fortnight now. Poor things. They can't get a blade of green grass. <laughs> Maybe near sighted, but you can't be deaf and dumb as well. Uh, could I take a coat and hat, sir, and give them a nice dry in the kitchen? No. I prefer to keep them on. Very good, sir. The room will be warm soon. I've got some luggage at the station. How can I have it sent? I'll get it brought over tomorrow, sir. Are you going to stay a bit? Yes. There's no way of getting it tonight? Oh, not tonight, sir. Very well. You'll bring me some food. Right away, sir. The Innkeeper's Wife, Jenny, played by Una O'Connor, you'll remember her as the actress in another terrific universal horror picture, The Bride of Frankenstein. She often played a hysterical wife, a housekeeper, or servant, much like the Invisible Man character. Downstairs, the folks at the bar debate about the strange man in bandages. Some believe he is a deranged criminal, while others think he's simply bandaged up because of the heavy snow. When Jenny comes back to Jack's room without knocking, she notices his mouth unbandaged while Jack attempts to eat his food. Not surprisingly, Jenny is spooked out and races back down to the bar area to reveal her findings. She believes it's some sort of horrible accident, but she never actually sees the invisible space where Jack's mouth should be because he's holding up a napkin to cover himself. Next, we meet Dr. Cranley, played by Henry Travers. You'll remember him as Clarence the Angel in It's a Wonderful Life. We also meet his daughter, Flora, played by Gloria Stewart, and they're at their home. Flora is, or was, romantically involved with Jack. Father. I wish you'd leave me alone, Flora, when I'm working. I can't bear it. We've got to do something. Do something? What about? About Jack. Oh, he'll come back. Don't you worry. Oh, Father, please put that horrid thing down and listen. It's nearly a month now, without a word. But the note he left was quite clear. He said we might not hear for a while. It's a good thing to go away when you're finishing a difficult experiment. What kind of experiment is it, Father? Oh, something of his own. I had a terrible feeling last night. 
I felt he was in desperate trouble. Hello, Kent. Flora's worried about Griffin. I don't wonder. I should have thought at least he could drop a line. Well, it's a queer thing. It certainly is, considering he was in your employ. He had my permission to carry out his own experiments in his spare time. And to clear off when he liked, for as long as he liked. Oh, what does it matter if he's in trouble? I've got the car outside. It'll give you a rest to come for a run. You think there are any papers in his room to help us? Surely he must have arranged where he was going. There may be letters. He left a heap of burnt papers in his fireplace, that's all. He was so strange those last few days before he went. So excited and strung up. And yet he wouldn't say a word to explain. I've never seen him like it before. He was always so keen to tell me about his experiments. He meddled in things men should leave alone. What do you mean? Your father's a scientist, Flora. He's discovered more about preserving food than any man living, and Jack and I were employed to help him. That's a plain, straightforward job. It's not romantic, but it saves hundreds of deaths and thousands of stomach aches. What did you mean about things men should leave alone? He worked in secret. He kept a lot of stuff locked in a big cupboard in his laboratory. He never opened that cupboard until he barred the door and drawn them blinds. Straightforward scientists have no need for barred doors and drawn blinds. He cares nothing for you, Flora. He'll never care about anything but test tubes and chemicals. How could he go away like this without a word? Flora, dear, please, darling, let me tell you how I feel. I can't work or sleep until I know. Oh, leave me alone. How oh, can you? In a typical movie trope, Flora has two men vying for her affection. Jack and Dr. Arthur Kemp, played by William Harrigan, whom you just heard in the last clip. While Flora is distraught about the sudden leaving of Jack, Jack sets up a makeshift laboratory in his room at the tiny inn trying to figure out a formula to regain his solid body. He's also getting more and more moody and agitated by the day and screams at Jenny, the inn hostess, when she tries to serve him lunch. She hilariously screams when he pushes her out the room. They decide to call the police to have Jack removed from the inn. There's a way back, you fool. There must be a way back. What is it? Your lunch? Oh, take it away. You don't want it cold, do you? Do you suppose that I'm going to carry trays backwards and forwards all day? Luncheon's at one, and it's one nil. Not going to stay under this roof. Not another hour. Crushed the tray out of my hand and swore at me. Turns my best sitting room into a chemist's shop. Spills it on the carpets. And him a week behind with his money. <laughs> Go and tell him if he ain't packed up in gold in half an hour, we'll have the law into tournament. And take him his bill. Three pounds ten. And see you get it before you come out. Go on. 
Let's leave him a bit, Jenny, till he cools off. Go on, do it now. Him and his goggles in his chemist shop. <laughs> if you don't kick him out, I'm clearing out myself, and that's the truth. And I mean it this time. And a whole day's work ruined by a foolish ignorant woman. There must be a way back. God knows there's a way back. If only they'd leave me alone. Now what's cool about Reigns' bandages was that he put random tufts of hair on the top of the bandages to make it seem like there was hair poking through. The innkeeper goes up to Jack's room with the ultimatum that he must leave the inn at once due to his abusive behavior. Jack explains he was in a serious accident. So while the innkeeper is empathetic to his accident, well, it's no excuse for Jack to be abusive, so he must leave. But Jack refuses to leave and attacks the innkeeper and throws him down the stairs. The people in the inn call for the police to come and remove Jack. Ah, Jaffers! Yeah, what's all this? It's the stranger with the goggles. He's gone mad. He's assaulted Mrs. Hall and nearly killed her husband. Oh. Where is he? He's upstairs in the sitting room. He's in there, in the sitting room. He's always silent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Keep back, you kids, there. Here, what's all this? Keep back there. Keep back, me? Do you know who you're talking to? I give you a last chance to leave me alone. Give me a last chance. You've committed assault, this when you've done, and you can come along to the station with me. Come along now, come quietly, unless you want me to put the handcuffs on. Stop where you are. You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, all right. Come on. Get hold of him. Lock him up. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and dipping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> Look, he's all eaten away. Huh? How do you like that, eh? <laughs> it was horrible. What's wrong? Well, Jaffers, what do you think? He's invisible. This was the matter with him. If he gets the rest of them clothes off, we'll never catch him in a thousand years. Come on. They've asked for it, the country bumpkins. 
This will give them a bit of a shock. Something to write home about. Nice bedtime story for the kids, too, if they want it. Back in I ink up a blooming shirt. Quick, get out of him! chemicals mixed together, that's all, and flesh and blood and bone just fade away. A little of this injected under the skin of the arm every day for a month. An invisible man can rule the world. Nobody will see him come, nobody will see him go. He can hear every secret. He can rob, rape, and kill. <laughs> Not if he can't get no further than this room, he won't. You shut the door. Now then, you better come along quietly. Look out behind that window! You think I'd escape like a common criminal? You need a lesson. I think I'll throttle you. Oh, go on go on You must be made to understand what I can do. <laughs> I need this bicycle. <laughs> Here's your blooming bicycle. You can do what you like with it. How's that for a hairbrush, George Henry? Good morning, Grandfather. How do you do? <laughs> we do our part. Now, again, these special effects are really fabulous, especially in 1933 when you see the bike riding around with nobody on it or things being thrown around seemingly out of thin air. It's really one of the most amusing films to watch of early Hollywood. And after seeing the initial reveal when Claude Rains removes his bandages in front of everyone, it's still awesome to watch today. The police and townsfolk are dumbfounded about how to stop an invisible madman. In the meantime, Dr. Cranley and Dr. Kemp discuss the chemicals that Jack used in his formula that caused him to turn invisible. Cranley tells Kemp to inform the police about Jack disappearing, but not literally disappearing, just that he left town and hasn't been heard from. They don't realize Jack's already caused a disturbance in town. That evening, Jack pays a visit to Kemp. This is the national station broadcasting this evening's news. Remarkable story from Country Village. The police and doctors are investigating an astonishing story told this afternoon by the people of the village of Iping. It appears that a mysterious disease has broken out infecting a large number of the inhabitants. It takes the form of a delusion that an invisible man is living among them. Several people have been seriously injured, probably through fighting among themselves and their belief that their opponent is an invisible man. The whole village is in a state of panic and everyone... And everyone deserves the fate that's coming to them. Panic, death, things worse than death. 
Don't be afraid, Kemp. It's me, Griffin. Jack Griffin. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm frozen with cold. Dead tired. Thank God for the fire. Sit down, you fool, and let's have a decent fire. Do you hear me? Sit down, unless you want me to knock your brains out. Sit down! I want you to listen carefully, Kemp. I've been through hell today. I want food and sleep. But before we sleep, there's work to do. May I have a cigarette? You always were a dirty little card, Kemp. You're frightened out of your wits, aren't you? Oh, it's no good talking like this. Have you got a good long surgical bandage? Good. And a pair of dark glasses? Right. Go and get them, at once. And let me have a dressing gown, and pajamas, and a pair of gloves. You'll feel better if you can see me, won't you? Come on, we've no time to waste. Find some pajamas in that room. Here are the gloves and bandages. I'll bring you the glasses. Thank you. Don't be long. Put them on the table. Now go down and draw the blinds in your sitting room. Are we alone in the house? Yes. Good. All right, go now. If you raise a finger against me, you're a dead man. I'm strong, and I'll strangle you. Understand? Wait for me downstairs. Kemp almost tries to leave the house, but Jack is watching him and tells him he can't trick him. In the meantime, the villagers and police try to figure out a strategy to capture the invisible man, because the police captain frankly believes it's a hoax. Back at Kemp's house... One day I'll tell you everything. There's no time now. I began five years ago, in secret, working all night, every night, right into the dawn. A thousand experiments, a thousand failures. And then, at last, the great, wonderful day. But Griffin, it's ghastly. The great, wonderful day. The last little mixture of drugs. I couldn't stay here any longer, Kemp. I couldn't let you see me slowly fading away. So I packed up and went to a little village for secrecy and quiet to finish the experiment and complete the antidote, the way back to visible man again. I meant to come back just as I was when you saw me last. But the fools wouldn't let me work in peace. I had to teach them a lesson. But why? Why do it, Griffin? Just a scientific experiment at first. That's all. To do something no other man in the world had done. 
But there's more to it than that, Kemp. I know now. It came to me suddenly. The drugs I took seemed to light up my brain. Suddenly I realized the power I held. The power to rule. To make the world grovel at my feet. <laughs> we'll soon put the world right now, Kemp. You and I. I? You mean... I must have a partner, Kemp. A visible partner to help me in the little things. You're my partner, Kemp. We'll begin with a reign of terror. A few murders here and there. Murders of great men, murders of little men. Just to show we make no distinction. We might even wreck a train or two. Just these fingers round a signalman's throat. That's all. Griffin, for heaven's sake! Do you want me to take these off? No, no. Very well, then. We'll make our plans tomorrow. Tonight we have a small job to do. Go and get your card out, Kemp. Why? Where are we going? Back to the village I left this morning. I came away without my notebooks. They contain all the results of my experiments. I must have them here. But it's past eight o'clock. Only 15 miles. Go now. Quickly. Take a bag with you for the books. Put a warm rug in the car. It's cold outside when you have to go about naked. As with all the mad scientist films, their genius always turns to madness. Yes, it might seem tropey and predictable now, but keep in mind, films were only 15 years old or so back in 1933. And talking pictures were less than five years old. So this was all fresh and new. Jack instructs Kemp to take him back to the inn so that he can retrieve his books with all of his notes with the antidote instructions in them. Here you are, Kemp. Lies from beginning to end. I have a good mind to prosecute the whole lot of you for conspiracy. I shall announce this evening that the whole thing's a hoax and you'll be the laughing stock of the entire country. shouting and screaming. What was that screaming? Had to take some exercise to keep warm. I killed a stupid little policeman. Smashed his head in. We start in earnest tomorrow morning, Kemp. Unfortunately, I don't have the scene, but Jack explains to Kemp the rules he must live by due to him being invisible. Like he can't be seen for an hour after he eats because the food is still visible. Or if he walks the street, the soot could show a dark outline of his body. After the killing of the police officer, now the invisible man is taken seriously, and a huge search is set up to apprehend Jack. 
The news is also spread to the surrounding towns to keep the public informed and help in the capture of Jack. After this announcement, the town basically goes into lockdown in fear of the invisible madman. Kemp calls Dr. Cranley to inform him that Jack is at his house. Flora overhears the call and insists on quote-unquote seeing Jack. Kemp also called the police, but they're short on available officers and can't send out anyone immediately, not taking Kemp's call very seriously. You've been crying. I want to help you. Why did you do this? For you, Flora. For me? Yes, for you, my darling. I wanted to do something tremendous, to achieve what men of science have dreamt of since the world began, to gain wealth and fame and honor, to write my name above the greatest scientists of all time. I was so pitifully poor. I had nothing to offer you, Flora. I was just a poor, struggling chemist. I shall come back to you, Flora, very soon now. The secret of invisibility lies there in my books. I shall work in Kent's laboratory till I find the way back. There is a way back, Flora, and then I shall come to you. I shall offer my secret to the world with all its terrible power. The nations of the world will bid for it, thousands, millions. The nation that wins my secret can sweep the world with invisible armies. Jack, I want you to let my father help you. You know how clever he is. He'll work with you day and night until you find that second secret, the one that'll bring you back to us. Then we'll have those lovely, peaceful days again, out under the trees, after your work in the evening. Your father? Clever? <laughs> you think he can help me? He's got the brain of a tapeworm, a maggot beside mine. Don't you see what it means? Power, power to rule, to make the world grovel at my feet. Jack, listen to me, listen. My father found a note in your room. He knows something about Monocane even you don't know. It alters you, changes you, makes you feel differently. Father believes the power of it will go if you know what you're fighting. Oh, come and stay with us. Let's fight this thing out together. Power, I said. Power to walk into the gold vaults of the nations, into the secrets of kings, into the holy of holies. Power to make multitudes run squealing in terror at the touch of my little invisible finger. Even the moon's frightened of me, frightened to death. The whole world's frightened to death. So, I see. Kemp couldn't sleep. He had to go downstairs. He was frightened. I put my trust in Kemp. I told him my secret and he gave me his word of honor. You must go now, Flora. I want to help you. There is nothing for you to do, my dear, except to go. I shall come back. I swear I shall come back, because I shall defeat them. Go now, my dear. No, I want to stay. You must hide. Oh, don't worry. The whole world's my hiding place. I can stand out there amongst them in the day or night and laugh at them. I mean, really, the performance from Reigns is absolutely terrific and because he has to vocally emote differently than normal film roles. All right, there's about 20 minutes left, and how will Jack go about defeating his quote-unquote enemies and also attempt to create the antidote for him to return back to normal? Or can he even return back to normal? Well, it's all answered in the thrilling final portion of the film. Also, you see Dwight Fry towards the end of the film as a reporter. The original Invisible Man 
often gets forgotten in the classic Universal monster movies, but for me, it's right up there with Frankenstein and Dracula in terms of film quality, almost entirely because of Claude Rains' performance. So if you haven't seen the original film, I highly recommend you check it out. And because I always find it hilarious when Una O'Connor screams, here's a montage of her being hysterical. Go and get the police. Please don't cry now. Oh, he's all right. Oh, please don't. Oh, shut up. During the scenes with Una O'Connor, James Whale struggled to control his own laughter because he adored O'Connor's humor. And that's the thing about this film people forget, with the exception of the Abbott and Costello movies, like when they meet Frankenstein, The Invisible Man is the funniest film of all the Universal Monster classics. Now granted, it's a very dark humor, but very funny. Alright, some fun facts. In the special features on my DVD, Claude Rains' daughter described her first experience seeing the film with her father, which was at a small Pennsylvania theater in 1950. So while the film was playing, Rains was telling his daughter about how it was made. And the other theater patrons stopped watching the movie and instead listened to Rains' anecdotes. She also said the owner and ticket salesman immediately knew it was Rains from his unmistakable voice and refused to let him pay for the tickets. Gloria Stewart didn't enjoy working opposite of Claude Rains. During the filming, when they had their scenes together, she claimed her leading men kept backing her into the scenery and hampering her chances to perform. James Whale had to keep everything on an even keel by reminding Claude Rains that he had to share his scenes with the leading lady. The Invisible Man and the Creature from the Black Lagoon are the only universal monsters that were never used later by the Hammer Horror films, unlike Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and the Mummy. Chester Morris was initially considered to play Dr. Arthur Kemp. So the basic framework of the story and characters' names are largely the same as H.G. Wells' novel, but there are several great differences. They include, in the novel, the invisibility process includes a chemical compound that takes the color out of organic material, along with the use of vibrations similar to x-rays. In the film, drugs alone do the trick. In the novel, Griffin remains almost a completely mysterious person, with no fiancé or friends. In the film, he is engaged to a woman and has the support of her father and his associate. In the novel, Griffin is an egomaniac with no empathy for his fellow man because he had these traits before making himself invisible. In the film, the invisibility drug causes him to go mad. All right, we have special guest Joseph Staub, who is not only a classic movie fan, but he's also a universal monster enthusiast. And he's been on many times before talking about these monster films and other films as well. And he's a great guest. So we get his take on The Invisible Man, and we have a terrific discussion. And of course, I'll be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with longtime guest Joseph Staub, who loves his universal monster movies. And so it was a natural request to get him to talk about The Invisible Man. So welcome back, Joseph. Thanks for having me again, Brian. It's always great, especially 
always great to talk about universal horror. Absolutely. And thank you again for doing this. So why do you think that the Invisible Man, especially the original, often gets overlooked when talking about the upper tier universal monsters? Because I think the original film is arguably as good, if not better than than most of the classic monster flicks. I, I would completely agree. And that was something I was going to talk about. I would I would say this is probably my favorite universal horror movie of the 30s. Honestly. Wow. If not Bride of Frankenstein, then it would be this. Only to be rivaled by probably the Wolfman, the first Wolfman movie. Those would be my top three of the entire catalog. But I, I think that this one tends to get overlooked simply because it wasn't really like it, it didn't get involved in the whole like monster rally of the 40s as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you you really got with Dracula, Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And those ones really got big again in the 40s. And the uh, the Invisible Man always kind of flew under the radar because there was all those sequels in the 40s, but none of them ever were really like never really got much attention. So even like like every Frankenstein sequel got a lot of attention. Right. And to an extent, some of the Dracula ones, especially when it came to the the Monster Rally movies and then the Wolfman being a product of the 40s, of course, that one got a lot of attention even in the 40s when all that string of Invisible Man movies was coming out, it really didn't get a lot of attention, and I think it might have something to do with, like, the character of the Invisible Man itself, mm-hmm. that it's not the same character that you're following through all the movies. True. Whereas with Dracula, not necessarily Dracula, because he's not, the character of Dracula is not in Dracula's Daughter or Son of Dracula. Right. But through a, the most of the major ones, it's the same character you're following, the the Frankenstein monster is the same character through all of the films. Right. And the Wolfman you're following Lon Chaney Jr. through all those films. And then even with the mummy sequels of the forties, all those mummy sequels, it's the same mummy. Yeah. So I think that's why I think sometimes the invisible man gets left in the dust a little bit, because even though this first film is such a classic and rightfully heralded as so, Mm -hmm. and the performance of Claude Rains is heralded as one of the classic monsters, you don't have that kind of through line that you're following that every time it's a different movie, it's a different voice actor or a different actor portraying the invisible man. And I think that kind of draws it back a little bit. I think that's a great point. I'm great. I'm, and I'm really glad you brought that up. And, and also, even though there is a punchline at the end of the film, it, the invisible man really isn't in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And, and but the top named monsters are yeah so there have been countless invisible man type movies again i still think this one's the best especially because there's humor in this film too which is also different than the the universal monsters with the exception of the alvin castell's uh films are there any quote-unquote invisible movies that you've seen over the years that are worthy to the original in your in my in your opinion and not just for universal but in general so i i other than the universals, I haven't seen too many. I mean, I, I saw the one that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, I thought that one was pretty well done. I don't think it is nearly the movie that this is. The only one that I would even put on a level even remotely close to this, as far as even just enjoyment, would be Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. That is okay. one of my. That's one of my favorite of. It's behind Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's probably my second favorite Abbott and Costello movie. Sure. Um, the difference there, though, is that has virtually nothing to do with horror whatsoever. Um, it, it really just it, it turns the, the Invisible Man into pretty much just just a sight gag almost. 
mm-hmm. but I think the plot and the characters are really good in that. But I think that this managed, especially for 1933, to toe the line between comedy and horror so well. Yeah. Um, there's there's moments that are hilarious when he's skipping down the lane singing the Nuts and May song. <laughs> yes. And then you go to him, you just hear his voice appear when, he, when Kemp's in the car. There's some legitimately scary moments in this movie. Like, even for all these years later, there's there's moments of this movie where, like, it catches you off guard a little bit. And it's legitimately some frightening stuff with just, like, he could be anywhere. And then you realize that he was there the whole time when, when they're trying, the policemen are trying to protect Kemp and everything like that. It's like, he he managed to evade them that whole time and everything. And that's that's some really scary stuff in this movie. Absolutely. And uh, did you ever actually read the original H.G. Wells novel? I did at one point. I, I it's been it was one of those like when I was in school, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't remember as much of it this day and age. Uh, but yeah, it's been a while since I read that one. I've definitely read Dracula and Frankenstein much more recently than I've gone back to this book. Book. OK, now th- this is an interesting film. You kind of touch upon it because in a sense, you know, Claude Rains is is the star of the film, but it's really his voice that's a star because he's al- it's almost like it's an animated film. So it's kind of fascinating when you think about that. How do you I mean, how do you think he pulled that off? Because, you know, really all you hear is his voice. I, I think and and I think it's it's interesting because you look at him in a lot of his other film roles. He, he's not really that imposing of a presence. No. Like you look at him as um Lawrence Cheney's father and the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. He's he's not he 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 plays older a lot. He he plays older, and his, his like physically is not very uh, imposing, but his voice detached mm-hmm. from him his body, like it is in this film, is chilling. Like it can be comical and it can have a lot of levity in it, and it can also be very endearing in the scenes where he's talking to Flora, mm-hmm. and he, he's. He can be very endearing in that way, but he can also he can flip that switch. And when he's saying he's going to murder you, you know, he means it. Now, speaking of Reigns, uh, you know, he was very rarely the main star in films. He was he was always kind of the fabulous supporting actor. As you mentioned, the Wolfman, obviously Casablanca, Notorious, to name a few. Why do you think he was never a leading man? And maybe you already kind of said it. Yeah, I, th- I think physically he he wasn't the leading man type. Mm-hmm. He he didn't have he didn't have the physicality of uh, Humphrey Bogart or Cary Grant or anything like that. He didn't have the looks. He didn't have that like imposing presence physically. Mm-hmm. But I think as an actor, he could play such a range of characters. Like you, some of the ones you mentioned in in this film, and then in The Wolfman, and in Casablanca, and in, especially Notorious. I think his performance in Notorious is superb. Oh yeah. But, he adds that kind of level to a film where whenever he's on screen, it just it, it adds something to the film. Right. Absolutely. So going back to The Invisible Man, uh, what are some of your favorite parts of the film? And also with, with a short running time, there's very little time to waste in this film. So do you wish the film was a tad bit longer? And if so, uh, what would you have liked to see more of? You know, I, this is this is one where I really I think the pace is amazing. Like the the, the, the film moves very very briskly but it not too quickly where like you look at something like dracula and it it takes forever to do anything it, it's a very slow moving film this one moves very quickly but it's it's also deliberate in its pace 
that it mm-hmm. does it takes those time it takes time to breathe where when he's when he's sitting with Kemp or when he's having those little moments with different characters it, it takes time to s- stop and breathe a little bit and it, it it feels it doesn't feel like it's only a 70 minute film it feels much more much more full than that mm-hmm. and not in a, in a good way not in a bad way where it's like oh my god this movie goes on forever right but in a very good way it feels like it's a fulfilling experience it's you're not you don't feel like oh it's just an hour and 10 minutes that went by really quick it, it does but also you feel fulfilled in that hour and 10 minutes right but i would have loved if if i did have to add some more mm-hmm. I, I think they take the perfect amount of time at the beginning of the film introducing the character and the mystery behind it and you get to see from the innkeeper's perspective and the patrons at the inn kind of what's going on with this guy that just comes in out of the snow and wants to be left alone in his room. And, and I think they, you, they give a perfect amount of time to that. And then they kind of revisit it a couple times throughout the rest of the movie. But I think maybe the only thing that I would like maybe a little bit more of is a little bit more development for like maybe Flora or Dr. Kemp a little bit. They just kind of come mm. into the story. They, they, it's, it's very well, like there's very, there's pretty much nothing. There's no, nothing I would change about this movie. Mm-hmm. But if I had to add maybe a little bit more running time, I would throw in a little bit of a backstory, maybe for those characters a little bit more. Okay. But that makes sense. Yeah. Overall, uh, that's some of my favorite parts of the movie are at the very beginning when, when he just shows up all wrapped in bandages at the mm. end and, they're just like, what is this dude and what's going on with this guy that just walks in out of the snow and the entire place falls silent. Right. Eventually the scene where he takes off his bandages and throws oh. off his clothes and everything. And it's just, yeah, it's so perfect. And for 1933, how they managed to pull off those sort of effects and stuff. It's oh, just, yeah, it, it's insane. And they still hold up this well today where a lot of things don't. It really did set the bar. I mean, for and you know, invisible films and just yeah, you're you're totally right. A lot of the special effects for a lot of the early monster movies actually do hold up well. Um, yeah, I, I again, I love the innkeeper's wife where she goes hysterical. I mean, that is kind of the <laughs> the humor in this too. Her just screaming. So I, I'm assuming you just recently re- rewatched this. Yeah, not too long ago. And speaking of the innkeeper's wife, this yeah. is probably my favorite Uno Connor performance because I think this is like the perfect level of her eccentricities and stuff i yes. think like in bride of frankenstein she goes way too overboard with some stuff mm-hmm. like she she's a little too like screamy and pulling faces and stuff right but i think it fits perfect for her character in this movie like it, it's it's not as quite as over the top but still it, it's still that kind of has that eccentric performance about it that it's really really entertaining in this movie oh absolutely so from the latest viewing, were they were there any new findings that you found from watching? Not 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 as much. I mean, I was I was kind of just focusing on like the smaller, like the little details. Like I I know the plot so so well at this sure. point. I just I I love just like the scene when he's bicycling through the town. Yeah, and it's just like how how they were able to come up with some of this stuff, like these little things, like pulling a bicycle on a wire, making it look like it's being driven by an invisible man, and just the foot. <laughs> the footprints in the snow and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it's just, just, just thinking about the kind of like the ingenious quality of the people that made these movies, that these movies came out 90 years ago yeah. and that they were thinking to do this sort of stuff when, when talking motion pictures had only been around for five years at that point. 
that they were right. able to do this sort of stuff 90 years ago is insane. Oh, absolutely. And then that's why these early films really hold up so well. Uh, so lastly, I mean, where does the, I kind of mentioned it, ultimately, where does the Invisible Man rank for you if you had to do a hard ranking uh, for the classic Universal Monster movies? Yeah, I kind of mentioned it um, a little bit, but like I can definitely go more into it. Sure. Depending on rewatches and stuff, because this was a very recent rewatch. Yeah. I This could, like, day to day, this could be my number one. It would definitely be back and forth my top three. My top three stays the same. They all kind of switch the number one position. It would be between this, Bride of Frankenstein, and The Wolfman. Like, those those three are always in tight contention for the number one spot. Okay. And any day of the week it could switch. But, like, right now this would probably be my favorite and it's it's just it's for all the reasons you mentioned because it's it's a short running time but the pace is very well executed and there's there's never any moments where something lingers too long as as was a, the case with a lot of the films of that time where things mm-hmm. some things tended to just some just the movie just dies at a certain point and then picks up a few minutes later there that never really happens in this movie there's always something happening and something keeping you intrigued about the plot or the characters and just the, the, the some of the things that the, the character of the Invisible Man does in this movie. I mean, this one character in this one movie has a higher kill count than Michael <laughs> Myers in every Halloween movie. That's a this great guy point. derails a freaking train true, and kills a hundred people, men, mm. women, children. He doesn't care. Nope. He just this train goes down an embankment and he's laughing about it. And then when there's people going to see what happened, he's pushing them off the cliff. Yeah. Like this, this guy is on an entirely different level and like just things like, I promise you Kemp, I'll kill you at 10 o'clock tomorrow night. And then the entire next like 15 minutes of the movie is like in the back of your head, you know he's going to kill him. Like, oh, there, no doubt. There, there's, there's no doubt he's going to kill him. But just what happens in like the next 15 minutes of the movie, all the, all the thought going into okay, we're gonna, we're gonna use Kempa's bait not to protect him, but to catch the Invisible Man, and he ends up killing him anyway. And just the way he does it, and you just hear his voice in the car, and and you, at first you think it's the radio, but then you realize it's him, <laughs> and. And then he ties him up and just pushes him off a cliff and it just laughs about it. And it's yeah. the performances from all from all the main the main actors, from Claude Rains, from Gloria Stewart, from William Harrigan, from pretty really everybody in this movie, even like E. E. Clive as Constable Jaffers. You're right. It's the, the the little comedic beats in this movie are, are just so great. And it it, it it adds that touch of levity something that's an extremely dark movie otherwise. It's about as dark as any of the Universal monsters had gone at this point. And I think that's why they added that levity. I think that's why it works so well. Yeah, the yin and yang. Actually, I, I wonder if the original script writers or the comic book writers of Batman were inspired to create the Joker from this. Because you think about his laugh and his maniacal attitude, it's very much Joker-esque. Yeah, it really, for me it really is, especially like with... With Claude Rains, you really see him almost as like a like a Cesar Romero Joker kind sure. of. Sure, you really hear that in like the voice and stuff. But it's that definitely it's it, it's that that sort of archetype of this insane 
deranged madman who's literally willing to do anything and, and doesn't really care about the consequences and will derail a train and kill 100 innocent people or spend an entire day just to go on a revenge against one man. Mm-hmm. And it, it just shows like the different levels he's willing to go to. And it's like very, very Joker-esque. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing to mention about this film, it doesn't fall into the musical trap of adding a musical number. So <laughs> that could also some of some of the short films that we've talked about before, like yes. the Marsh Brothers have been still actually feel long because of the musical numbers. So you don't have that. Yeah, that's definitely something where a lot of those movies uh, just hit a brick wall and uh, yes. <laughs> find it hard to recover from the musical numbers. Thankfully, the Universal Monster movies didn't go down that path. Or we probably wouldn't be talking about the modern horror movie. Oh, I absolutely agree. As always, thank you so much for doing this, uh, Joseph. And uh, again, your your insights are terrific. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me as always. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.